So I want to teach from Ephesians this morning, and my sermon title is Saints in the City. I have to say that this epistle that Paul wrote such a long time ago has been instrumental in my life for the last seven or eight years. And whenever I read this, I get so excited. Who else gets excited when you read the Word of God? I certainly do. But when I read this, I get even more excited. It gives me courage. It inspires me. It reminds me that God can take the foolish things and the weak things of this world and do amazing stuff. I know what's inside of my heart. I know my frailties. I know my weaknesses. And when I read this epistle and I understand its history, I get so encouraged. God has called every single one of us to be a part of His purpose and His plan in transforming cities and nations and regions. And today I want to look at some stuff. I trust that it provokes you and encourages you. And hopefully we leave something that is resident inside of your heart that will change the way that you live. And so it says this in the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. That first verse is jam-packed with juice. Just that first verse is profoundly filled with important stuff. But it's a, it's a phrase, or it's a statement, it's a sentence that reveals two things under one umbrella. The umbrella is position, but it reveals two important aspects of position. Number one, we see a people, we see believers positioned in Christ. Say in Christ, if you wouldn't mind, in Christ. But we see importantly that these believers, these faithful, these saints, let's, them, let's call them saints, these saints who are in Christ have been placed into a city. And this city is Ephesus. Now, a little bit of history. Ephesus was an important city in the known world some 2,000 years ago. The city that we see today is not the city that was. It was the fourth largest city in the known world back then. If I remember my statistics correctly, the fourth largest city, and someone's going to Google right now and tell me I'm wrong, so let me apologize. I might have relatively outdated statistics. But if I remember what I looked a few years ago, Shanghai is the fourth largest city. Some 25, no doubt it's grown since then, some 25 million people. That's pretty darn large. Ephesus was like Shanghai today. It was a large city, a city of importance. It was a religious center. It was a political center. It was an economic center. It was a hub through which everything in the known region took place. Much like Dubai. Isn't that true? But God's got a plan for cities. God's desire is to reach into cities and release His kingdom, bring transformation, release revival and reformation. That's God's plan. He hasn't changed His agenda. He wants to reach into cities and bring His kingdom because people live there. The reason why God is so profoundly passionate about cities is because 
Human beings live in cities. By 2025, 75% of the world's population are going to live not in villages, but in cities. Do the maths. That's pretty remarkable. So God's agenda, because of social movement, human movement, is targeting nodes like cities, hubs, and centers of influence for the sake of reaching out to people. Dubai is one of those places. But in order for God to reach into a city, guess what? His strategy is very simple. He reaches into the hearts of his saints. The gateway of God into cities are the saints. And the measure to which God awakens and opens the hearts of believers is the measure to which he will move into cities of influence. And we're going to read something in a moment. What God did in Ephesus is exactly what I'm describing. He moves into the hearts of the disciples and he changes the face of a city and a region. God's plan hasn't changed. We are praying prayers. God, let your reign fall. We are crying out to God, let your kingdom come in Dubai. And guess what he's doing? He's opening up your hearts. The measure to which God unlocks the hearts of the church is the measure to which God will release his influence in a city. We have this warped idea. When we pray this prayer, let your kingdom come, we think the kingdom of God will just land upon us in some uh, mystical, bizarre fashion. Well, God can do stuff like that. But he's incarnational. He's authentic. He's real. Jesus Christ did not land like some demigod with his underpants outside his toga and say, I have arrived. Superman has come to save the day. No. He came in flesh and blood. He came tangible, knowable, identifiable. And he brought the kingdom in and through his heart. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He came in flesh and blood and God's plan has not changed. And yet the church cries out for the reign of God. R-A-I-N. Save Dubai. Save the Middle East. Let your kingdom come. And yet the reign, R-A-I-N, comes through the R-E-I-G-N of God inside of your and my hearts. Are you with me this morning? You are the gateway of transformation into Dubai. Isn't that amazing? Look at the person next to you. That's how God's kingdom reign will come. In and through our hearts. And so we hear, hear and see in this moment, Paul is writing to the saints in the city. What did those saints, let's do a little bit of history. Turn with me, brief if you don't mind, to Acts chapter 19. We often read the Bible and we think they were marines or this elite force. We often think, you know, they were like the X-Men or, uh, you know, the Justice League. As you can see, I like that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, it's not how God changed the city. Let's read. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. He stumbles into some disciples. 
Let's look at what those disciples look like. He asked them a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Good question. This is their response. No. We have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. That's amazing. Father, Son, and who the heck else? Their view of God was so diminished. And yet God had chosen these disciples to be his agents of transformation in a city center of great importance. Their relationship with God, their understanding of God was so diminished and so reduced. And he asked them a simple question. Have you received Holy Spirit? We didn't even know who he was. Who is he? Sounds like a lot of the church today. Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. Father, Son, and Holy Leadership. Father, Son, and Holy Strategy. Who is Holy Spirit? I don't know. But what's remarkable is that God won't leave us in that place. He wants the fullness of Himself to live inside of our hearts for transformation. But the exciting point is this. These few disciples did not have a a profound, full understanding of who God was and who God is. I'm already feeling encouraged to reading this. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. Hang on. They are living in the new covenant. Everything has changed. Jesus Christ has ascended. It's all a different place, a new world. And they're living in the old covenant. Who was John? The greatest of the old covenant prophets. They are living in a new dispensation. That is their new identity, living from the old into the new. Not only do they have a a diminished view of God, they're living under the law, as it were. Profound. Yet this is God's elite task team. Amazing. Aren't you encouraged? I am. (laughs) Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 in all. There's something amazing here. Here is this elite task force. They have poor theology, poor revelation of God. They're living in an outdated understanding of who God is. And yet God calls them. What is amazing is this. Is that there is something inside of them that excites God. As they hear this truth, they jump up and they're baptized. They jump up and they respond to the word of the Lord. They jump up and they say, I want more of God. What does that speak of? It speaks of radical obedience. God can use anybody who is radically obedient to his call. You can have a diminished theology, you can have a a, a reduced understanding of who God is, but if you are radically obedient to the word of the Lord and his ways, he can change a city through you. Oh, Ryan, my marriage doesn't tick every box. You know, I don't do my devotions every day. You know, I have a reduced understanding of, of theology. It is not theology that changes a world. It is not uh, reading every book of every theologian. It's not going to conferences. It is a heart of availability born out of radical obedience, and God can use anybody. 
So the reason why I'm saying this is because I'm setting you up. You and I are in God's elite team. No matter who you are or where you're from. But my question to you now is this. How does God change a city? If we are God's elite team, and He's not looking for theological expertise and conference uh, experience, He's looking for radical obedience, He's looking for some disciples who'd respond in availability, how then can such a group of people change such an important city? Let's turn back to Ephesus. Are you with me so far? Are you following me? Good. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says something incredible. In fact, I'm going to read from verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel. This is Paul speaking, of course. By the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less, sounds like the group he was working with. Although I am less than the least of all God's people. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration or the economy of his, this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. This is the mystery revealed. His plan was that now, say now. Now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, not tomorrow, not maybe next, next week or next month, now, through the church, not some missions organization, and I believe that they are all important, but God is bringing the church back to her rightful place of understanding as to who she, are, he, she is and who she is called to be. Now, through the church, God's manifold, multicolored wisdom, power, authority, and influence is made known, this text says, to powers and rulers and influences. When this text speaks, it's not speaking of presidents and governors and sheikhs. It's talking about demonic powers. It's talking about rulers in heavenly places. This is the point. God's plan for the church is that we would be the principality. That we would literally be, as principality describes, the first ruler in cities, regions, and countries. This is God's plan for the church. Isn't that amazing? Demon spirits, principalities and powers with scary names and and horrible faces are not meant to be the first rulers. The church is meant to be the first ruler. The church made up of people like you and me, as we've seen in Acts chapter 19. God's call upon us is that we would be the first ruler. That what we say goes. How we live sets the agenda for a city. What comes into the city is what we permit. That's the design of God for the church. But how do we get to that place? What is it that God has to get into into our hearts that we live as the first rulers? When we hear authority and power, we think of people driving fancy cars with number plates below the number 100. I'm learning a few things and listening. We think of people with flashy watches and fancy shoes. We think of the ability to put people in jail. People walking around lauding their rulership and their dominion. Yet God's access point to authority is something altogether different. And I want to throw it out there. 
the way in which we will change a city and rise into our seat of authority is through nothing other than the avenue of service. Simple. God is raising up disciples from different backgrounds who will have a heart to serve in the city that God has placed them. Jesus Christ was dead for our sins. He was raised for our resurrection life. And he was seated above all power for the church. Now look at the language in Ephesians chapter 2. It doesn't change. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead. But it's by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. Can you see the similarity of language? Jesus was dead, Jesus was raised, Jesus was seated. We've just read that. Now, Paul continues, you were dead in sin. But by grace, you were raised with Christ. And guess what? You are seated with Christ. The same rulership, the same dominion, the same power that is on Jesus is ours. We are called co-regents or co-heirs. What belongs to Jesus belongs to us. But inasmuch as Paul's teaching was that Christ did it for something, it's true for the church. Let's keep reading. Are you following me here? For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no man can boast. Verse 10, there's a three-letter word that we've read before. It's the word for. I'm not distracted, focus. For we are God's handiwork. We are His poetry. We are His shining lights. We are His city of lights. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Oh my goodness. Jesus was dead, raised, and seated for the church so that he could give us to the world. He will fill the world with us. How do we fill the world? We come to God in a state of complete decay in our death, but by the grace of God, we are raised with Christ and seated with Christ above all rulership. And he says, whilst you are co-regents, sons and daughters, rulers, royal priesthood, a people of blue blood, guess what? This is how you're going to fill the earth through good works. Created in Christ Jesus. Father's gift to the world was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, gift to the world, is the church by the Holy Spirit. The gift that the church gives in its authority, in her authority to the world, is a work ethic where we humble ourselves as servants and we serve wherever we go. Can you see that? And so, here we sit. How can I change Dubai? We need to take upon our hearts an attitude of the servant. Let's hone that in. How does that work for me? And so I work for a boss. How do I approach my boss? How do I approach my sphere of influence, my place of employment? Do I walk in with arrogance, going, I'm a Christian, everything's going to change around me? 
and you better listen to my words. That's not going to work. But if we come in with a true sense of our identity, I am royalty, I come into that environment, and I take the posture as Jesus took the posture to serve, and we serve our bosses. What does that look like for you? Your fellow employees are gossiping, slandering about your boss. Do we engage? You want to carry authority to transform that workspace? If you engage with gossip, you disempower your authority to change your workspace and ultimately reach your boss. And so while they're gossiping, slandering, you speak life over your boss. So yes, he made a mistake, but he, I see this, and I see this, and I see this. And you redeem, you see God's traits in him or her. And you pull it out, and you keep promoting the good instead of gossiping. What happens is, you come in as a servant, and you start taking a seat of authority over gossip and slander, that when you walk in the next day, you change an atmosphere. You do not change an atmosphere by gossip and slander. You do not change an atmosphere by shirking. Is that a word we all understand here? Cutting corners. We change an atmosphere by working harder than anyone else. By speaking words of life while everyone gossips and slanders. Suddenly we come to a seat of authority that when we speak to our boss next, an atmosphere is changed. You carry authority over. There are three levels of authority. The first realm is this world. The second realm is the demonic realm where, G, uh, where Satan is seated. And then there's the third realm, the highest realm, where we are seated with God. If we engage in gossip and slander and earthly living and fleshly living as believers, we get dragged into the realm where the devil operates. Guess what? The moment we do that, we do not have authority over it. Because we are in it and not above it. But when we take the hearts of a servant, servants live in the highest realm of authority with words and actions and deeds and dispositions of their heart. And when we walk into that space again, things must change because we are there. Why? Because we are servants. You want to change your marriage, husband? Serve your wife. Serve your children. Take the lowest place and you will carry authority to bring the family forward in words. How do we speak over our wives? Wives, how do we speak with our girlfriends about our husbands? We want to change our husbands, but we keep belittling our husbands either in public or in private. Your husband will not change. Why? Because you are not carrying authority. But when we speak life, yes, my husband... He's unhelpful in areas, but he is this, and he is this, and he is this, and he is this amongst your friends. Suddenly you come to a place of authority, and where your husband is living deficient, you suck him in to your higher level of authority and breakthrough. Are you with me? This is exciting. We don't have to stand on the corner of the streets, and you can't do it in bios in jail. Bible bashing. Repent, or you're going to burn in hell. That's not how we change. God sows us into the very crevices of society. And he says, serve. Ah, he sows us into the darkest places. Into the highest echelons of society. And we serve. That's how we change things.
You want to change your kids? Come lower than our kids. I'm learning that right now, firsthand. Leading a church is, is a challenge. Being a daddy is a challenge. Anyone else agree? And it continues, and it continues. So, what are the good works? Number one, it's our words. How are we speaking about people around us in our sphere of influence? Number two, it is our works. The works of God are acts of service. Could be praying for someone. There's nothing more disarming than just saying, do you mind if I just pray with you? And you don't have to, if you're not allowed to publicly hear, that's okay. I don't always do that, but I pray for that person. It's our our works. It's our wisdom. I'll tell you a story in a moment. And ultimately, it's our witness. Everything builds together to be a witness. Let me tell you, people are watching us. And how we posture our hearts, although we are royalty, how we posture our hearts on earth. We have hearts of kings, but hands of servants. And that's when we begin to change our environment. Dubai will begin to change life by life. If we think revival is an altar and a tent and a crusade and everyone lying down in the front, that is a visitation. We want a habitation. And the habitation of God, as Graham was saying earlier, is not the trickle of rain from time to time. It is a people rooted in the crevices of society with hearts of servants. Then we will carry authority. And like the church in Ephesus, Dubai will change. It's unstoppable. And if you don't believe what I'm saying, look into these eyes. I'm possessed by this truth. If we would begin to believe it, if we would begin to act upon it and serve in whatever capacity we can, we will change Dubai life by life, business by business. And this warehouse will have to be a million times bigger, hyperbole to prove the point. A lot bigger. Because people are attracted to us. People didn't get what Jesus said, but they were attracted to him because he laid his life down. Saints in the city in Dubai. Will we lay our lives down? Will we come underneath the city? The picture is Jesus who came under the rank and squalor of human sin and carries authority over humanity for all time. Will we come under the lowest of the low? Will we come under the highest of the high with our words, our deeds, our wisdom? I didn't plan it like this, but coming here, there's just been a constant theme from the leaders' meeting and again here of the hearts of servants. For those that were there, you would see that to be true. Can you just begin to speak to your father and just say, God, if anything has made sense here, (laughs) maybe there was one line, just begin to speak to him. And we'll be done in a moment. I know I've gone on long. Just let him begin to awaken your hearts. The reign of God comes through the reign of Christ in your hearts. The way that God accesses a city is through the hearts of his saints. 
Just let him begin to awaken your heart. Begin to let him show you your employer or your employees with his eyes. Maybe you are someone who is over a number of people, but you've treated those under you as your minions. You have no authority over them then. No truly eternal authority. Just allow God to give you his heart for them right now. Allow him to show you by his spirit words to say. Things to do. Strategies to put in place right now. Because God is wanting to give you authority. Maybe it's your husband, ma'am. Maybe it's your wife, sir. If you need to repent of anything, just say sorry. And in an instant, it's gone. But let us go low. And as Heidi Baker says, lower and slower. Let's go lower. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, come. If, if, if you're comfortable, just for another few minutes, just lift up your hands in a manner. I don't normally lift them high. They get tired too quickly. So I normally do exactly like some of you are doing. Just, it's like the teacup. The elbows go up. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you are here. Would you come and awaken hearts now in the name of Jesus? Bring the kingdom of God to bear upon every heart now in the name of Jesus. And awaken hearts to see, to live, to lay down as you lay down. I ask that you would change marriages and families right now in the name of Jesus. Would you change workspaces right now in the name of Jesus? And family by family, life by life, workspace by workspace, will you begin to shift the atmosphere in Dubai? That Dubai would not be known for towering spires in the sky, but it would be known as the city of God. Lord, I declare that in the name of Jesus. But Lord, would we be the saints of God? Radically obedient. Some of you need to ask spouses to forgive you now. Some of you need to go to some of your employers and say, Sorry, I've been such a, such a bad employee. I ask you to forgive me. You need to, some people may need to go to fellow employees and say, Even if they don't get it, I'm sorry for slandering. Or if you don't want to do that, just stop it. Don't do it anymore. And watch. God, would you release physical weight of authority on people right now in the name of Jesus. For marriages, for families, for, for business, for the economy, for their sphere of influence right now in the name of Jesus. And we say, God, let the reign of heaven come as the reign of Christ rests in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name.